0: Welcome to the Grace Capital Church Podcast, broadcasting from our Manchester campus. We have a brand new series. You saw the intro, Heaven to Earth. I'm really excited about this. I just want to recognize Kevin, first of all, for doing such an awesome job last week for um, you bringing the word. It was a timely word. It was a God-inspired, God-breathed word. And uh, so, bro, thanks. It was awesome. We as a church body need to be missional. As individuals, not as the church. As individuals, because we are the church. Okay, so we talked a lot about that in previous uh, series, Awakening. But we're now talking about bringing heaven to earth. When I say bringing heaven to earth, what's the first thing? Give me me some examples of what you think bringing heaven to earth means or what it could look like. I will give you a second. (laughs) It's a big one. It's a big concept. What does that mean? Bringing heaven to earth. You've heard us, if you've been around the church for very long, we've been saying this is our tagline, bringing heaven to earth. And what we're looking at is passionately pursuing the mission Jesus called us to. Passionately pursuing the passion that Jesus has. And that's each one for each other. Passionately going after this. And it looks different because when you look at your life, you are all gifted and you're all put on this earth for a blip, you're on this earth for a blip in God's timeline, yet God cares so much about that little blip that he gave his only son, that who would ever believe in him would have ever, everlasting life forever with him in relationship, perfect relationship. So your little blip is actually incredibly important to him. And you're not just to exist and poof, gone. You're to actually bring the the heaven that God resides in to earth. And so that's exactly what we're going to look at this evening. Life. The, The way that life was supposed to be. Today, we're going to be looking at the problem And the promise. Now, have you ever received a promise from someone and then had it fulfilled? Does have you ever had someone say, "I promise, I'm going to do this," and then have it fulfilled? Elizabeth, don't look at me. (laughs) Communications director, I'm on her her naughty list. Um, I am not getting anything for Christmas. (laughs) But I will tell you this. that thing called administration. I have to get that thing together. I will. I promise, Elizabeth. But no, have you ever had a promise actually given to you and then someone fulfilled it? And how good it made you feel. It was like you, it, the trust for others just skyrocketed within you. Just skyrocketed. And um, there's something restorative in a promise being fulfilled. Now, when I was young, I had a prophecy spoken over me, and for those of you who don't know anything about this concept, I want to enlighten you to this idea that a lot of charismatic churches uh, experienced, uh, practiced regularly, which was a, it was called presbytery, and presbytery was this time and place, special time and place where your pastors and leaders would come around you and actually set you in you know, it was like the, uh, the hot seat, right? And they would begin to speak. They would listen, listen, and listen for the Lord. And then prophesy over you. It was not fortune-telling. But I will say this, it was promise-telling. It was promise-speaking. Because they were only speaking what they felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to them. And so I had a promise spoken over my life, and I just kind of went through life, always having that as a, God spoke it. I know he's capable, and therefore he will do it. But what was so beautiful about that promise was, this is it. When it comes out of the mouth of God, it cannot be completed. It cannot come to pass outside of God. Right? It's not you. you know, nothing you can do can make it happen. You could walk forward in in the promise, take those steps that he says go forward in, but you can't make it happen on your own. And so the promise brought a peace to me, knowing that it had to be God if anything was to happen. And if any of these prophecies would be true, see, that was the problem. The problem was me. The problem was outside of God. It could, not be, it could not be done. So the promise revealed a problem. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But let me say this, too, that the words spoken over my life when I was, I don't even, 13, 14, have come to pass to the T. There are still things that are, I'm waiting for fulfillment on. But I can tell you from my experiences that, you know, these were men of God and they heard right. And they should know that. <laughs> you know, we, we need to judge every pro, every prophet's prophecy to the scriptures and then judge to make sure that it comes about the way that they speak it out. You know, it's part of discernment. It's part of accountability as a body. Um, And in my life, you know, they they were right on. And I think that's great. We all need a word of hope. Every one of us need a word of hope. A promise to be fulfilled in our lives. Uh, That promise was Jesus. That promise was Jesus. And, uh, we need to know that the promise that the promise of Jesus did in fact reveal a problem. I want to go back. It's the problem before the promise. Centuries before Jesus coming into human form through the birth of Mary. This is a Christmas series, by the way. So you're going to hear a lot about the coming of Jesus and the revelation of Jesus. But I have to give you the backstory for Jesus in order for the promise to even make sense. But what he did was, centuries before the promise had been fulfilled, humanity had a huge amount of problems. We see that sin, which began in the garden, broke the relationship between us and God. And it, it tore at the fibers of society. People's depravity and, and sin nature, their natural ability to violate themselves and others, uh, produced this lasting guilt within them. And it produced uh this heavy conscience that that they it could not be wiped away. It couldn't be wiped away by themselves. It left them. Uh, and their entire society in this dark place, a hole of anger, sorrow, despair, and insecurity that tore at the fibers of themselves, their families, their community as a whole. Now, God understood this about the individual. And he understood what was happening to the culture, the communities that he had intended to be these vibrant, life-giving, this, this where life just rotated and revolved around people in harmony. Um, there's so much I want to say. I don't want to go off topic. I'm hearing rabbit trails left and right right now. <laughs> But what I want to share with you is this, that God saw that there was a need that needed to be, um, taken care of in the meantime before the promise of Jesus and the fulfillment of Jesus. And so therefore there was sacrifice and animal sacrifice that took place. It sounds barbaric today for all of us who are civilized, but uh, to be honest with you, it worked to a degree. Why did they have to sacrifice an animal for their sin? Well, two things. There was a a correlation between the animal's life and the thing that they did. What God was saying was, what you did, your inability to be pure, causes death. And there's an atonement that must take place for that, to cover because what was happening was they would sin, they would get into this place where the guilt was so heavy on them that they, they went through the process of wiping away the guilt through the sacrifice. And so what was taking place here was uh, there when God created... This system and structure. He first gave us the law. And through the law, what we saw was it was supposed to give them a way to live in harmony with one another, but they couldn't do it. And so what ended up taking place was they had to atone for these these sins, and so they had this animal sacrifice, and the blood poured out, and their sins were transferred through the animal. And and it would go on, but it cost them something. Now, typically, these animals were the best of their livestock. It was the it was not like their weak or their sick animals. It was the best of what they had. And God created positions for these people, these priests that came before God. And they were supposed to live in a holy manner. And so it created this incredible problem. You see, God revealed the Ten Commandments through Moses, and the Israelites couldn't even hold to that. So Moses comes around with the ceremonial law, which added 625 more laws. For there to be peace and tranquility among people. Ways that we would come around and, and we would do these things in such a way that there was life lived out in probably the most... Um, when everything worked well, it worked well, and the community thrived. But when they began to worship other gods and worship other, other idols... It began to destroy that relationship between them and God, so Jesus, from the very beginning, God from the very beginning, understood that we we have a problem right from the very beginning, and I want to share, share with you a couple things. This is what the the animal sacrifices was a temporary fix for a permanent solution. God fully intended to solve once and for all, the broken relationship between God and man. And he spoke about this. And I want to tell you, this was spoken from the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 3.15, it says, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And what he's talking about is Jesus. What God is talking about in this passage is Jesus. He says, you shall bruise Uh, He shall bruise your head, the enemy bruising your head, and you shall bruise his heel. See, Jesus Jesus was spoken of at the very beginning of the Bible. And in Zechariah, what I see is through generations, God speaks to every generation about the promise. Every generation saw the destruction of of the curse of sin, their their cultures could not regain out of anything that they tried to do on their own human initiative. And from generation to generation, God brings his prophets in and speaks a word that, that talks about the promise of Jesus, generation after generation. And in Zechariah 9.9, 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your King is coming to you, righteous and having uh, salvation is He, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In Isaiah 7.14, he says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, the word Emmanuel is, means God with us. You see, God wanted to restore the relationship from the very beginning, from the garden. In uh, Isaiah 9-2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of the deep darkness, on them has light shone. But I want to direct you to Ezekiel 34, verses 14 and 15. There's several. There are a list of scriptures that that tell of his coming. In Ezekiel... 34 says this in verse 14, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. You see, God wanted to take that rightful place as shepherd, that relationship, and bring people together. And, it, it, you know, what does a shepherd do? He, the shepherd uses his rod and his staff. He disciplines those that he loves. He brings them into green pastures beside streams of living water. What he was doing was saying, I, I want you to live where I, I have created this dwelling place of peace. And we're all about going about our own thing, causing all kinds of havoc. You know, the religious included in all of this. So it didn't matter if you're, if you Love God it didn't matter how much you knew about the scriptures and the law. Um, it, it can't be complete in your own physical capability. Now, Ezekiel's name means may God strengthen. And his prophecies came about that the... the uh, about the the time that king uh Jehoiakim had come into into power although he wasn't really in power he he was the uh, king of Judah but they were also under captivity of Babylon and so it, they were in a place of deep confusion they were hearing things from two different cultures the the culture of Israel the people of God were trying to live their lives the way that they were supposed to live their lives, but then you had the Babylonians who imparted their culture on them heavily, and so there was a lot of confusion. and The Israelites were going off, and they were they were worshiping other gods, and they were they were far from the Lord. and So Ezekiel came in, and and the Lord spoke through Ezekiel. See, Jesus comes onto the scene 600 years after that. 600 years after, and he says in John 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So there's a direct correlation between the, the prophecy of Ezekiel and then the fulfillment of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd, the one that Ezekiel had been talking about 600 years before. Generations passed by in hope of Jesus. And those that passed away were still resting on the hope, not of the hope of whether or not that he could fulfill the law, but they were hoping for Jesus. Here's what I think is pretty amazing. I see that there's a direct correlation to the way that the Israelites lived prior to the fulfillment of Jesus and people today. Thousands of years, yet there's such a deep correlation between the two. You can take thousands of years and all the technology and still people still act the same way. Yet, we who believe in the promise are able to live in the fulfillment. And um, there are those today uh, that don't believe that are grasping, trying to make sense of this world. They're grasping at the different types of shaky philosophies or the constructs of ethical and civil behavior. And yet nothing's working. Now, with all the technology we are. Just look at our current culture. Look at the youth of our current culture. That's a gauge of where we're going. Okay, you could always tell what's the next, what's the climate going to look like by looking at our youth. So no matter how many letters you have behind your name, how many doctorates you've received, We still are in this place that by no man can you create a community that is as loving and as perfect as God has already established. And that is the promise. We're living today in the promise. See, the promise is here. So many people have come to the Lord. They want fire insurance. They want to know where they're going after they die. But see, Jesus actually came to remove us from the hell that we are currently living in. Okay? Because he says, I want to bring heaven to earth. My kingdom come. My will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what he's saying is, not only am I giving you everlasting life with him, but he's saying that the culture that you live in today will be impacted greatly by my relationship with you. And bringing heaven to earth happens in this moment where there's this this recognition within our hearts. And we can hope, we can all live in this hope that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Each one of us, we need to cling to this hope of the promise. Because God promised and what God has spoken is true. And so, so many of us believers tend to only operate in a shaky hope. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like sometimes we, we get so busy with our lives, we don't operate as though we have the, we have the solution to our community's problems. We get wrapped up in our jobs, in our relationships, things that don't even matter, dancing with the stars. (laughs) I mean, I'm just saying. Um, we, we get so bought into culture, the, the, the very culture that is literally dying in front of us. And I have these great conversations with friends and they're, they're like, oh man, you believe that stuff? And you know what I hear is that, that scene, that senile Perspective, that critical heart that comes from friends of mine that don't believe, and doesn't the word say that that the wisdom of God is foolish to those that are perishing? And I pray for them. It's not like ha ha, I got it, you don't. That's not it. it. My heart grieves, and our hearts ought to grieve for those that are perishing. Our relationships with our with our friends and our neighbors we ought to be thinking about, put yourself in this position. What if a tsunami was coming through your neighborhood? Would you not go and tell your friends that a tsunami is coming? Because it is coming. In fact, it's already here. But the kingdom of heaven is already here, just ready to whisk them away from all of the danger, all of the hell that they're going to go through. Because we have a good shepherd shepherd that is leading us into green pastures and leading us into, into still waters, we can look forward to what is ahead of us. We can anticipate what is to come for you and your community. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be a holy and, and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, and that's Ephesians one, three through five. You see. He has given us blessing but he says this he were chosen before the world was even set in motion and how much can we just be so full of not just thankfulness because this is a thanksgiving message where we can't we can be thankful for what we have in that promise and in that hope but we have a responsibility to be the ones who shouted out from the mountaintops the ones that should not shy back from those conversations. When you are hanging out with your friends, be it wherever it is, you can speak to them and share with them this hope, this this new, this heaven that wants to come to earth that has already been established. His kingdom has already been established. And we are declaring it here on earth. And with our declaration, it becomes, it becomes. Like your little blip in this earth is incredibly important. Without this little blip, there are a lot of other little blips that just disappear. That will suffer without the love of Jesus. Your time here on earth is so very, very important. You have to understand that this was God's plan A. It was not plan B. So many Christians believe that Jesus was plan B. That is not true. The fall, do you think the fall surprised God in any way? I need to walk in this hope and share it with everyone. And in this Christmas season, we need to point people to Jesus. You guys, we have been entrusted with Him, with His light, the hope of glory. And don't let these four walls put the light out. What I heard said down in Baltimore hit me like a ton of bricks. And and (laughs) this pastor, Lance, I can't remember his last name, forgive me. He said, the bushel looks different. There's all kinds of different sized boxes. There's little boxes. There's really big boxes. The light Jesus was not meant to be held inside the church building. It was always meant to go out. So be that. Amen. Let's pray, Father, you are good, you are holy. We are grateful right now during this this season, uh, kicking off with such a fun holiday, a humbling holiday, a time where we can really be thankful for so much. We are blessed. Even the poorest among us are more blessed than so many around this world. Jesus, what makes us rich is you. And we are humbled that you would choose us from the very beginning. That Jesus, you were you it was your plan from the very beginning to come and redeem us from darkness, from sin and death, from hell. Not just hell. But after we die, we got the hell that just lurks in everybody's corner. They're living here on earth in this blip. And we pray that we would be that light that would reunite those souls with you, Jesus. God, wherever we are, God, let us be used by you for your good works. We love you and thank you for so much. God, we can't even begin to tell you how much we're grateful. But each one of us here knows our pasts. Each one of us knows where we are today. And Father, we need to reorientate our eyes back on you, Jesus. We thank you, God, for this time that we have together and I want to take a minute and just say, if you don't know the Lord, if you don't know the Jesus that I am talking about, I want to pray with you. I want to give you the opportunity to know Him. Because this promise, this fulfillment of the promise will change who you are and change everything That revolves around you. The hope of glory, the love of Jesus, the love of God. As the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts this moment of quiet, I just pray right now that you would speak and direct, guide, shepherd. You are the good shepherd. Each and every soul here here, to those who need you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. If you want to know Jesus my personal Savior, but the Savior of all of creation. I want to introduce you to him. And you can come and speak to me afterwards. Don't leave. It doesn't take long to explain. (laughs) But I want to offer that to you now. Jesus, we just commission this body of believers to be the wicks that your Holy Spirit has touched and has set ablaze that these wicks would go out, that these lights would go out and touch their communities in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,